0: Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Jose Lott, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. On September 8th of 2022, a brand new and very special medical school was announced. This new school is the St. Padre Pio Institute for the Relief of Suffering School of Osteopathic Medicine. It's a joint venture between Catholic Health International and Benedictine University in Atchison, Kansas, and it's scheduled to open in 2026. The organizing partners describe the new school as an institute that will, quote, train faithful physicians in the Catholic framework and through their practice of medicine, evangelize the good news of Jesus Christ, unquote. Joining me today to talk about the St. Padre Pio Institute for the Relief of Suffering School of Osteopathic Medicine is Dr. George Machescu, its founding president and chief executive officer. Dr. George, welcome to Bioethics On Air.
1: Thank you, Joe. It's a a pleasure to to be here. Pleasure to meet you.
0: Yeah, we met just uh, last week at the Catholic Medical Association meeting, and and, and thank you for coming on the podcast and talking about the new medical school.
1: I I could go on and on all day. I love to to, uh, spread the message.
0: Well, great. Well, this is your opportunity to do so. So I always start every podcast, when we have a new guest on every podcast, and obviously you're a new guest. Um, So what if you tell our listeners a bit about your background, your education, and your work experience leading up to your, uh, well, to your collaboration with the new medical school?
1: Right. Great. Uh, So I'm an Eastern Catholic, Ukrainian Catholic, husband,
0: father.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Yes. And he's risen indeed.
0: That's the only Ukrainian I know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, husband, father, uh, I am an osteopathic physician, graduated from the, what is now the Kansas City University, uh, College of Osteopathic Medicine, uh, back in, in the Stone Age to me is 1988, uh, I'm an anesthesiologist, cardiac anesthesiologist. I did my anesthesiology residency and fellowships in cardiac anesthesia and pediatric anesthesia at the Yale University, Yale New Haven Hospital. In New Haven, and have been in practice and still in practice in anesthesiology. Most of my day is spent uh, anesthetizing uh, adults and children, uh, especially for open heart surgery. I also have developed an interest in medical education. Back in the mid 2000s, I did a healthcare policy fellowship through the a- American Osteopathic Association, so I learned about a, a lot about healthcare policy how Uh, the federal government's healthcare systems either work or don't work uh, for people. And I got very interested in underserved populations. I grew up in Southern Colorado and like the border region. uh, I'm not sure I would claim to understand it that well, but I like the area, but I do understand that there's a lot of healthcare disparities down there, a lot of poor health outcomes. Um, And after this, I sort of developed uh, an idea of how a medical school can help with healthcare disparities to a degree in a region. Osteopathic medical schools uh, tend to be a little bit larger than MD schools, and they tend to graduate a lot of primary care physicians. That's the areas that we need help in the most, family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN. So I came up with an idea to locate an osteopathic medical school on or near the southern border came up with an idea of how it works, how it would work at the university, and how it all fits together. Wrote a little white paper and shopped it around to every university and community from San Diego to Brownsville. And fortunately, uh, the city of Las Cruces and New Mexico State University responded very positively. I say fortunately because I like New Mexico, and Las Cruces sort of reminds me of Colorado Springs when I was growing up went and met with folks out there. We said, yeah, this is a great idea. This will work for the community. Uh, Found financing, found people to help and to help manage things. But long story short, in about three years and a month from the day I first went to Las Cruces, we opened uh, a brand new medical school, the uh, Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine, located on the New Mexico State University campus with 162 brand new medical students. Uh, Today, that uh, medical school is up and running, very successful. It has been among the most diverse osteopathic medical schools in the country and is one of the largest producers of Hispanic physicians in the United States. I've also helped open several other medical schools in areas of social need. Helped open the first medical school in Idaho, uh, helped open a medical school in California Health Sciences University in Fresno, which addresses the needs of the underserved migrant community and the farm communities, and the um, New York Institute of Technology's branch campus of osteopathic medicine in uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas, at Arkansas State, to address that very underserved population. I have a little group that works on other schools, too, so we have some others in development. But me, just by myself, I've always wanted to open a very faithful Catholic uh, medical school, Um I think there's a real need for that. There's nine Catholic medical schools in the United States: seven MD, and two DOs, and they do a good job, but they're sort of nominally Catholic. On uh, some of them, if you look on the website, you don't find the word Catholic, and some of them go out of their way to say, "Well, you know, we're a medical school; we're not Catholic. Catholic is just sort of the moniker for the university, but medicine is medicine." And I don't believe that's the case. You know, I believe medicine has to be practiced in a faithful Catholic framework. And I've always been fortunate in my career, even though working in secular institutions, to be allowed to respect my conscience and Catholicism. And I think we need a medical school that represents that. So that's been a goal of mine. And uh, I met the folks at Catholic Healthcare International, and we have very similar goals, right? Their goal was to also also open amongst other things, a medical school. So one thing leads to another, and here we are today.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. So here you are. You're you're an, anest- an anesthesiologist, and your side gig is opening medical schools. Well, I guess so. <laughs> I feel like such an underachiever talking to you. <laughs> I, I was wondering, you, know, you, you mentioned a number of the medical schools that you, that you helped to open. Just briefly, what does it take to open a medical school? I mean, I, I, don't, I think people listening would be like, like, what do you do? How do you, how do you do this from the ground zero?
1: Well, you know, medical schools are very complicated and very regulated endeavors. I mean, I think you've got two very important interests. You have higher education and consumer protection. And then you have healthcare, of course, and you have consumer protection and healthcare. So I like to say that at the end of the day, we're more regulated than the airlines. Uh, There's a very rigorous accreditation standard. There's multiple standards and elements that have to be met. You know, they used to number in the hundreds and hundreds, but there's still, I think, well over a hundred elements that have to be met in creating a medical school. It's a long and deliberative process between the medical school folks and the, in our case, the Commission on Osteopathic College Accreditation, the, abbreviated the COCA, the COCA, which is the national accreditor for osteopathic medical schools as designated by the U.S. Department of Education. So we work with them very closely to make sure that we meet all the standards. So both the COCA on the osteopathic side and the LCME, the Liaison Commission for Medical Education uh, on the MD side are very rigorous accreditors. so You can be sure that any medical school that passes their muster is of a very high standard, right? It's sort of like, you don't want a mediocre doctor. You don't want a mediocre medical school. So the process works to meet all these standards. You have to find financing, right? These are expensive endeavors. Uh, an average osteopathic medical school costs about $120 million to put up so money's important finding quality talent is important i mean people say it takes a village and that's very very true in medical schools while you have a couple of point people in leadership it really is a, a joint effort of a group of very very talented individuals who come together to to do something that seems very monumental and when you look back at it after a few years when you've done it you're like wow that was hard how can i do this again if i'm going to ever do this again i remember when i started new mexico i said I'm, I'm not sure i can ever do that again so right. it was it was it was a challenge
0: well here you are now doing it again so and here
1: i am doing it again well yep. i think it's important right the medical schools that i've started i i think do important things in meeting the healthcare needs of vulnerable populations and i think this is is going to do that but even more so in a faithful catholic framework
0: right. yeah well, let's get into that. So you're the, the organization that's kind of spearheading all of this is Catholic Health International, or excuse me, Catholic Healthcare International. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit about what that organization is and what it seeks to do.
1: Sure. So Catholic Healthcare International is based out of St. Louis. They're an apostolate of the church. I believe their Episcopal advisor is Cardinal Raymond Burke, who's probably familiar to most of your listeners. And several years ago they decided to form this organization in the charism of padre pio to replicate padre pio's hospital uh, and research center in san giovanni rotondo italy so in the 1950s saint pio formed this hospital and today it's a and it's in the middle of nowhere in italy Italy. and today it's a thousand bed hospital a major research center but they don't have a medical school. CHI was formed under the leadership of Jerry Palazzolo, who's a former hospital administrator, to replicate this in the United States because it was Padre Pio's vision that there would be Casas around the world to relieve the suffering of, of afflicted individuals. And part of what their mission was, and Cardinal Burke said, and Bishop Boyer from the Archdiocese of Lansing said, you really need to have. A medical school because there's that multiplier effect, right? Because a medical school trains hundreds of physicians, generations of physicians, as I say, to go out and spread the good news. So that was important. And Italy, again, had never had a medical school. So they did this, I think, back in 2009. And a couple of years ago, I was sitting around reading LifeSight News, and there was something on there about uh, Cardinal Burke. Some interview with him, and um, he mentioned CHI. So I reached out to looked it up. Reached out to CHI. Kind of wrote to their general information box and said, "Hey, uh, I saw this on LifeSite News, and I see you guys are interested in medical school. I'm interested in doing medical schools too, and I'm I'm a faithful Catholic. And maybe we can talk." And I just kind of wrote to the info at CHI, right? Mm -hmm. And, And Jerry Palazzolo called me back, and we got to talking, and, and we saw that we were very aligned philosophically on on the Catholic faith and, and Catholicism. And uh, again, we started working together, and now we've reached this this milestone where we're ready to to proceed.
0: Yeah, wonderful. All right, uh, now you spoke already briefly about. Uh, Padre Pio and the, the home for the relief of suffering in San Giovanni Rotondo. So can you speak anything about, the, say, Padre Pio's charism and what that brings to his hospital in Italy and, and what, what you're seeking to bring to the medical school here in the United States?
1: Well, Padre Pio believed that faith should be coupled with reason and medical practice, that there, there's not a divorce between faith and reason. And he established this hospital, again, kind of in the middle of nowhere under the providence of the Holy Spirit. And it's become this major hospital and research center. But he said, this is just the beginning of this chain of hospitals, as I said before. So now I think Padre Pio moved to put us together. I think Padre Pio used to say that there were these coincidences that he would arrange, and, and he's a very active saint. So this was one of these coincidences, and what we want to do is to evangelize the good news of Jesus Christ through the practice of physicians, right? Because we have, I think physicians have a sacred trust, and I like to say that the, I'm an anesthesiologist, right? And I like to say that the job of an anesthesiologist is sacred, because we're frequently the first and last human contact that people have in their lives. And there's nothing more sacred than that. I mean, I have anesthetized children for open heart surgery and a mother hands you an infant and puts that infant in your trust and care. That's pretty sacred to me. That's not a routine job. So this is an important role, I think, that doctors can go and through their practice, through their example, through their humanity, live the, the good news of Jesus Christ to others.
0: Yeah. Great answer. All right. So you are the founding president and CEO of the St. Padre Pio Institute for the Relief of Suffering School of Osteopathic Medicine. What do these roles entail?
1: Well, it entails herding cats. In <laughs> all right. so, so it's putting together all the pieces, if you will, to assemble a medical school. So it was important to find a university partner. So this is an independent school. This is an independent medical school that will be accredited independently, licensed, financed and governed. So it, it's it's its own entity. And you could put it out in a field somewhere and call it Bob's pretty good Catholic medical school. <laughs> but the students will lose out on that because in a school out in a field doesn't have all the resources of a larger college and most importantly, want, we wanted to have a spiritual home for the students, where they could be in a Catholic environment, in a faithful environment, in a supportive environment. That it's very hard to replicate in just a single building with a medical school sign on it. Right. So we looked at colleges on the Newman list, uh, the most faithful Catholic colleges, where to put this. So that was part of the job was finding the right partner. At its very simplistic terms. This is like a Subway sandwich shop that lives on a university campus. But obviously it's a lot more detailed than that because there's a very close working relationship between the two institutions of education. You find the money, you find talented support to help you with all these technical components, right? The The financial reporting, the regulatory uh, approvals that need to be done. So the president puts all these things together and again... Most importantly, finds the money because money money is what's needed uh, in the world to move things along right now. I mean, we're, we're hoping for the providence of the Holy Spirit and Padre Pio to whisper in somebody's ear that, you know, wants to contribute to a good cause. Hey, this is a good cause. So that's my job is to, to help working with the folks at CHI put these things together. And having done this several times, it is different putting together a startup institution versus one that's already up and established and has a hundred employees, right? Right. It's a different mindset. It's a different way of financial management. And it's just, it's different to do a startup. Uh, And I think I've been fortunate to be successful in doing that. So that's what I'm doing uh, right now is working to get all the pieces together so that when the time comes, we can then hire in more leadership and the appropriate people to keep moving down this very complicated and very regulated process.
0: Yeah. I hear you. I was going to ask this a little bit later, but since you brought it up now, how much will it cost? I know you threw out the number of, I think, $125 million earlier. What will it cost to get the Padre Pio school up and running?
1: Well, there's several components and it's a little technical, so I don't want to bore people, but there's the cost of the building and that's in shorthand about $40 million. There's a escrow fund that has to be deposited with the American Osteopathic Association. Think of that as a surety bond to guarantee that the students will have a good education and good outcomes. And so that's another about $40 million that goes into a bank account very early in the process. And that sits there until the school graduates its first class of students.
0: Right, So we're at $80 million already. We're
1: at $80 million. And then you need about another $40 million. And again, I'm just kind of making the math easy. It's not exactly like that, but close enough. So you need about another $40 million to spend until the school starts to support itself through tuition. Medical schools take a long time to create. From the time that we actually file an application of this proposed school to the accreditors, you have a minimum of three years until you can put one student in a seat. Wow. So for three years, you're hiring people, you're building buildings, you're spending money, but you're not getting any revenue in. So you spend, like I said, about four, 35 to $40 million before you actually see a dollar coming back.
0: Wow. That's a lot so of money. So
1: it's, it's expensive. It, it, it takes a lot of resources. And there's ways around it. There's some leverage you can do. You can mortgage a building. But really, there's a lot of direct donation fundraising that has to be done.
0: Right. And what if if there was a billionaire who was listening to this podcast who wanted to uh, get involved? What would be the best way for that person to get involved?
1: The best way for that person to get involved is to uh, contact me. I'll meet with anybody, anytime, night or day, anywhere. Explain the concept, tell them what we're doing, him or her, and uh, write a check. And it's a very slow burn. So... Over the first couple of years, well, the first year or so, we only spend about $2 million. Only $2 million. It's <laughs> like that old joke, right? A million dollars here, a million dollars there. Pretty soon you're talking about serious money. So, but it's a slow burn. That $35 to $40 million that you spend on the working capital takes about six years to spend. So, what we do is get a commitment of a couple of million dollars cash in hand in a bank and the rest as contracted promise so that we kind of draw on it over time and of course then the building has to be built and the escrow has to be funded um, about 14 months into the development process so Good. again sort of complicated takes time but it all adds up
0: yeah well we'll we'll put your uh, we'll put some contact information for you in the show notes so if anybody does want to get a hold of you they can do that you had mentioned uh, a little bit earlier some of the other I guess maybe apostolates that goal that are involved here. So there's a Padre Pio shrine, there's a hospital, and then you said we have to, to, to build a medical school. Now, all three of those are, are coming together in the United States. I know Catholic Healthcare International is trying to bring all three of those together. But I wonder if you could tell us how, how will these three entities work together, and it, particularly from the medical school side, how will they work with the, with the Padre Pio hospital and maybe even the shrine that is being built as well too?
1: Uh, Catholic Healthcare International does have uh, a shrine and a prayer campus. They want to replicate the original chapel from San Giovanni Rotondo uh, on some land in Howell, Michigan that was donated to them by Bishop Boyer of the Archdiocese of Lansing. They also have in their plans to develop the hospital to d- duplicate the casa in Italy and the uh, Terry Schiavo home for the brain injured. Uh, mm-hmm. We know that the developmentally disabled the brain injured in this country are treated as, you know, not people sometimes. So that's part of their their mission is to, you know, to care for this dignity uh, of every human being, regardless of their age or disability. So that's in their plans. The medical school is a component of that. And the way it fits is a resource for future physicians for these enterprises, uh, some revenue from the medical school goes back to feed these other causes, if you will. We know that the medical school will consume most of the tuition dollars that it it takes in. But instead of going to say, you know, investors or to a bigger university, sometimes a medical school is part of a small, you know, university, and the excess revenue goes back to the big university to pay for uh, the philosophy department. Right this case, it will go back to CHI to pay for their clinical projects, right, the hospital and the home for the, the brain injured. So that's how it all fits together. The, the medical school, well, they're working on their prayer campus, and, and Mr. Pell has been doing that for a time. The hospital is equally complex, if not more, more than a medical school. That's his area. That's going to come down the road a little bit. There are some potential donations of physical facilities up in Michigan, for them to do that, and this is going to be located again on the campus of Benedictine University in Atchison. So geographically, they're not close together, but philosophically, right. they all fit.
0: Yeah, really good. I liked if we could go and um, pull apart a couple of your quotes from sure. a, uh, a new an interview that you you did with Catholic News Agency when the when the new medical school was announced. So. In that interview, uh, first quote is this, and I actually I I quoted part of this in the introduction. You stated, quote, "The, the mission of the medical school is to train faithful physicians in the Catholic framework and through their practice of medicine, evangelize the good news of Jesus Christ, unquote. In concrete terms, what does that mean for the medical school?
1: What that means is that the students will understand the role of Catholicism and Catholic bioethical principles in their education. And a good example of that, well, I've got a couple examples. When I was in medical school, we learned about a lot of different drugs in pharmacology, and you learn about oral contraceptives and how they're built, how they work. And I sat there watching the professor, and I kind of looked up at one of the drugs they were talking about. I'm like, well, that's an abortifacient. This is working by causing an abortion. Now, maybe it's causing an abortion at a very, very early stage of development, but it is causing an abortion, right? And as under our faith, we believe that a person is a is a, a fully formed person in the image and likeness of God from conception to natural death. But if the school doesn't point that out, and if a student's sort of not paying that much attention, you think, okay, a birth control pill.
0: Right. Right.
1: Another thing, when, um, when my wife was with our third child, she was a little bit older and their obstetrician said, okay, well we can get you an amniocentesis and, and, and check that. And we were like, why? Well, in case of down syndrome or something like that, we're like, but we're not going to do anything regardless of your results. So why would we want to do an unnecessary test? And the obstetrician didn't mean it in a kind of negative sense, but it was like explaining oxygen to somebody that grew up on the moon. (laughs) It was so far out of their frame of reference because, oh, yeah, you're right. I just never thought about it that way. So this school will incorporate Catholic bioethics so that students understand what the canon law says and what we believe about the dignity of life, the dignity of humans, and the practice of medicine and how those fit together and how medical therapies are sometimes in conflict with Catholic bioethical teachings, Catholic beliefs, and how things are frequently mischaracterized as medical therapy. I mean, my favorite um, example of that is abortion is healthcare. Well, no, it's not. Right. 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 It's right. not healthcare, particularly it's not healthcare for the child. Right. Uh, so I think students will have a better understanding. So they won't be like somebody that learning about oxygen is somebody that grew up on the moon. They'll come prepared, as I like to say, armored with these Catholic truths when they got into the world and then practice as faithful Catholics they'll be ready for these discussions and they'll be able to practice appropriately.
0: Yeah. I would love it if the, uh, if there was ever a role for the NCBC in any of the educational uh, well, curriculum. For this.
1: Obviously we, we want to use um, materials from the NCBC. We want to incorporate Catholic bioethics in the curriculum. Of course, working with Benedictine college, we would like to, uh, and because this is a proposed school, because it's still in development, it's hard to make, hard and fast statements. We know it's going to be a medical school that offers a DO degree. But we believe that working with Benedictine, the students can probably get either a certificate uh, or some sort of degree. I'm thinking a master's degree in bioethics when they graduate. So they would graduate with both a medical degree from the medical school and a master's degree in bioethics from Benedictine University. Uh, at the same time, because they're going to be doing the coursework. All the students will be doing coursework in Catholic bioethics, the theology of the body, the theology of suffering. So they might as well have the credentials to show for it. And that, of course, makes them more competitive uh, and desirable in the marketplace. I mean, Catholic uh, healthcare constitutes about 30% of the healthcare in the United States. So there is a large uh, market for these folks to go out and work. And and spread the good news. And I think having that credential makes them leaders, right? right? It's not just the usual medical student that is is just concerned with getting the job done and moving along. Yes, they're, they are that, but they also are leaders because they'll have this additional credential in bioethics. So that's our, our goal. Of course, it remains to be seen when and how that happens. It adds another level of complexity to already a very complex project, but we think it's worth doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's actually music to the ears of our executive vice president, John Burhani, because he's been talking about that, at a, 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 um, like a, a minor or a second degree or a master's degree in bioethics for, for medical students. So that, that, okay. that could be a, a good conversation to have. You, you also stated in the CNA interview, and actually you talked about this already um, in your introduction, that uh, part of the impetus for the new medical school is the COVID-19 pandemic, which revealed as you mentioned earlier, serious health disparities, socioeconomic deprivation, and the difficulties that underrepresented minorities face in securing general health care. You made that, you stated that in the in the CNI article. Again, you already started to address this, but how will the new medical school face these issues?
1: Well, all medical schools should be concerning themselves with the social determinants of health and underserved populations. Um, if you read some of the things that Charles Camosi has written as far as bioethics, it really hits home as to why underrepresented populations are both treated differently by the healthcare system and suffer poorer health outcomes. And there's so many factors to that. So it's important for the medical school to address these vulnerable populations, sort of like Jesus addressed vulnerable populations. As He liked to say the spiritually healthy don't need him, right? The spiritually sick need him. So, but we need to do that in a Catholic framework, because we know that abortion is disproportionately represented uh, in minority communities. um, And there's a lot of things like that. So our students will have that impetus and desire, if you will, example to work with underrepresented populations, but in a Catholic framework to really bring their health and faith to where.
0: Uh, God intended. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit. Uh, that's a great segue into the next question because I wanted to ask you about the students who you are seeking to recruit uh, for the new medical school. So, again, just one last quote from the uh, from the CNA article. Uh, you stated, "quote This is this is intended to be the most faithful Catholic medical school in the world." I love that. We wanted to have a spiritual home for the medical student where they could be surrounded by a strong Catholic culture." Unquote. All right. So, with this in mind, are you specifically looking to recruit Catholic students? I mean, obviously, it's going to be open to others of goodwill as well, too. But who is the student that you're that you're focusing on for of this? Course. And I'm
1: going to preface this by saying that this is a proposed school, and that nothing I say here should be construed as recruiting students for a medical school.
0: Okay. Yeah, because you can't it's do a that yet.
1: Idea about right. a medical school, but this medical school is not yet accredited, not yet licensed, and does not have permission to recruit students. Got it. So anything I'm saying is just our background philosophy and not saying this is recruiting students. So I want to be very clear about that. Yep. But that being said, we intend this to be the most faithful Catholic medical school in the world. It will be the only medical school that is under ex corde ecclesiae. So St. John Paul II's, um, guide, if you will, for what makes a Catholic institution of higher learning a truly Catholic institution. No other medical school uh, functions under the ex Coritae. It will be on the faith, campus of the Faithful Catholic University. All the senior leadership, all the members of the board will be Catholic, and to the extent possible, the faculty will be Catholic. Now, as far as students, we would welcome and, show, and love all students of all faiths, all the students will have a spiritual direction program in addition to the bioethics work that we discussed earlier.
0: God, so that's fantastic.
1: This spiritual direction program will be designed for students of any faith. So there'll be Catholic spiritual direction programs, Jewish spiritual direction programs. There'll be spiritual direction programs for atheist, agnostic students, because we welcome everyone. Where it's not our job to. Convert people to Catholicism, it's our job to train faithful physicians to practice under a Catholic framework. And there's maybe a subtle difference there, but it is a difference. We're not here to discriminate or, or say only Catholics are welcome. Obviously, we welcome Catholic students because they'll be comfortable, but we welcome uh, seekers of truth and knowledge from all faiths. And we believe that this environment of faith, support, and spiritual direction will make it a better medical school experience. Medical schools are extraordinarily stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the most stable students with families that had done missionary work uh, in other faiths that I thought were the most rock solid people I'd ever met were mentally and emotionally broken by the stress and work of medical school. And people would go out on sick leave for clinical depression and things like that. It's a hard, hard thing to do. Medical school is is a very difficult undertaking. So we think that this will be a better environment of support and care for students and maybe give them a bigger picture and perspective that will help them rationalize and deal with these uh, emotional and intellectual challenges of medical school. I like to say that it's a sacred duty that's reserved for the very few that have the physical emotional, and intellectual capacity to uh, to take the test.
0: Yeah. You know, I, again, something as you were describing the medical school, and it's going to be a faithful Catholic school, and it's going to operate in accordance with ex corde. Again, it's fantastic. I'm wondering, will that fact, will it cause any difficulties attracting quality administrators or teaching staff?
1: I don't think so. We've already been approached, and really we've just been talking about this, right? This is Mm -hmm. since the 8th, when it was signed with uh, Benedictine, was the first real, more or less public acknowledgement of our efforts. And even before that, we were being approached by people interested, because I think there's a real desire there for faithful Catholics. There is no real home for them. I mean, you read all the time about people being forced out of their jobs, or leaving their jobs because they're not comfortable in the culture of a institution of higher education, even ostensibly a Catholic institution right. of higher education. I mean, I remember reading something about that just the other day in the Catholic World Reporter. So this will be a home and a welcoming home for these individuals that want to work in this faithful environment and will not feel ostracized because they're Faithful Catholic philosophies contrast maybe with the popular culture.
0: Right now, I know you you can't recruit students, and I'm assuming you can't recruit faculty at this point either. But well, we you, can recruit faculty. Oh, you can. We do can you recruit think, faculty. Do you do you think that there will be people from faculties of other medical schools who would who would come to the St. Padre Pio um, School of Osteopathic Medicine? osteopathic medicine for the reasons that you mentioned? Do you think you'll you'll actually be able to attract people with that?
1: Yeah, I I think so. I've already been contacted by some individuals that said, you know, I've been waiting for this all my life. So uh, I think there will be a a lot of good, very high quality uh, faculty that come to us that want to live their faith with the same amount of quality and pride and joy as they do their academic uh, training. So we can recruit where we have to do that responsibly. Again, that's a stepwise process. You can do it anytime you want, but there's a way to do it responsibly and a way to do it so they're protected and you do the right thing with the resources and the money you have and the folks that you're hiring.
0: Yeah. Uh, Follow up to that. Since the medical school is going to operate in accordance with ex corte and it will not violate Catholic teaching, do you anticipate there'll be any difficulties with the creditors?
1: Well, No. Because, as a faith based institution, there is an exception under the US Department of Education's guidelines for these institutions that we can um, both hire and set our processes to be consistent with the mission of the medical school. And actually, I have to give a lot of credit to Liberty University uh, in Virginia. They have an osteopathic medical school, and they were amongst the early folks who who broke this ground, if you will, with the accreditors to say, yes, we understand what your clauses are as far as non-discrimination, but we have a faith-based mission, and this is our First Amendment right to do this. And the U.S. Department of Education, there were a couple of court cases that validated that. So, And the accreditors are very good. Uh, there is a separate subsection of accreditation standards that specifically addresses faith-based institutions. So there is that, as they call it, ministerial exemption under Department of Education guidelines to accommodate uh, religious freedom.
0: Right. Do you think, because of the the school, again, following ex corte, do you think students who graduate from the medical school might have difficulty securing Uh, say, residencies or maybe have some issues in the future. If people say that they, if, if, you know, potential employers see that they graduated from this medical school, might they have a bias against them? Has any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I'm not sure they'd want to go to work for those kind of employers. And yeah, I'm sure that Planned Parenthood probably would not want to employ a graduate of our school. And I doubt any of the graduates of the school would want to work there. That being said, as I said earlier, Catholic uh, institutions constitute about a third or so of the hospitals in the United States, and there's a large tradition of Catholics providing health care in the US. So there'll be plenty of places for them to work. I think most institutions, again, I don't want, and it's a generalization, but I think most institutions put patient care, safety, and humanity above political goals. I mean, that's the kind of hospital I want to be treated in as a patient, right? It doesn't have to be a Catholic hospital but it has to be a hospital that does its best to treat me with respect and dignity at the highest standard of medical care. And I think potential employers will see our medical students as saying, yeah, they they meet this and they treat patients with respect and dignity and the highest level of medical care. And okay. They may disagree on certain procedures or certain therapies, uh, but I don't think that will prevent our students from Finding gainful employment outside of the world of Catholic medicine. Well,
0: that's that's good. Um, Let's go back to Benedictine College or uh, or Benedictine University. I guess maybe I should say. College.
1: I think they're technically they're
0: technically still a college. So. You, you mentioned before that they're um, that they're going to be the the site uh, in large measure because they're a faithful Catholic university. Talk to me about that a little bit more. The, the process of, of choosing Benedictine and and where do you see this say long term uh, in terms of collaboration between the college and the medical school?
1: Well, we met with uh, and toured numerous Newman list colleges trying to find who is the best partner because along with a faithful Catholic college to be a home for the students in the university, you have to have a good partner, right? It's a little bit right. like dating and marriage. You're tied <laughs> up very closely. And as I like to say, you know, we can't want this project more than the host college in creating any sort of complex enterprise like this. There'll be good surprises. There'll be bad surprises. There'll be conflicts that have to be worked out, but we all have to be together with the goal in mind, the mission in mind, just like in New Mexico State. It was not always a bed of roses, right? But they had excellent leadership. They were very serious about the mission of healthcare to the southern border. So when issues arose, we were able to sit down and work out a common ground to accomplish our mission. So it was important to have a, a good college partner to accomplish this. And we met with many colleges. Some were and everybody was supportive, right? But some had different timelines. Some had different priorities. Some had different philosophies about what they're going to have on their campus as far as campus offerings. So I have to give a mountain of credit to President Steve Menace, uh, of Benedictine College because from our very first contact, he could not have been more enthusiastic, more excited about this potential medical school that would live on his campus. Uh, I think it fits their strategic plan. It fits what they wanna do long-term. And certainly it fits with what we wanna do. So it was, again, Padre Pio and the Holy Spirit bringing this together because once we met each other, it moved at lightning speed to form this relationship and, and affiliation because it just worked so, so well together. And it really didn't matter Uh, about Kansas. It didn't matter about the geography. It mattered about the college and the leadership and the faith and enthusiasm of their leadership. And it is easily the best possible partner that we could have found, at least from the institutions that we looked at. Again, it's a daunting thing, right? Because they have to take this, if you will, leap of faith. Because there's a lot of, while this doesn't cost them anything, Uh, as far as finances, because we're our own own independent institution. We pay them a lease payment for their land and things like that. There's reputational risk, right? If you're Mm -hmm. a college, you don't want to have a medical college set up shop on your campus that might embarrass you somehow. Mm -hmm. So they could see that, you know, they were willing to do this as well. And I think we have a track record, at least I do, of success. CHI has a track record of faithfulness. So it wasn't just a blind... uh, Guess that this is going to be a good idea, but there is a leap of faith that has to be taken anytime one of these projects starts. Just like it's happened with my secular projects, as well. At the end of the day, it works out to be a good thing, but it's a little daunting. And so, Steve Minnis's leadership was very important in in bringing his community together to say, "Yeah, this this is a good thing, right?" Because there are all kinds of stakeholders in the region that you know may have other issues. With a new medical school cropping up. I I have tremendous respect for Kansas City University, which was my alma mater for DO school, one of the most credible, one of the best and oldest osteopathic medical schools in the United States that happens to be about 45 minutes away. The University of Missouri in Kansas City, about 45 minutes away. The University of Kansas, a tremendously important and good medical school, not very far away. But we're not there to compete with them. We're there to complement their missions, maybe. We're there to offer something different to students that are interested. Most of our students will probably not be from Kansas. Most of our students probably will not work in the immediate area of the medical school because we have a mission that has a national and global footprint for Catholic health care specifically, not for the people of Northeast Kansas. Now, if that works out that way, and there's some people that are happy and choose to work that way, you know, great, but that's not what we're here for, and we're not there to compete with other institutions. We hope to be good and faithful neighbors as as Benedictine College is a good neighbor to its colleges in the region.
0: Yeah. So as we move towards the end of this interview, uh, we've already talked about the challenge of money, and at my, I, I'm counting things up here, and we're at about 120 million dollars right now is, is is what's needed. So obviously the, the finances is a big challenge. But besides that, what other challenges are you facing or anticipate facing in building this new medical school?
1: Well, the other big challenge in any osteopathic medical school, specifically is the clinical education of students, right? You learn for two years in a classroom, and curricula vary, but in general. You spend two years in a classroom learning about the human body, pathology, pharmacology, biochemistry, all those sorts of things. But then you go out for two years to the world to work with patients, to work with other physicians, and to learn the practice of medicine in a clinical environment, right? You can't learn that in the classroom. You can't learn that online. That has to be real world. And that's a challenge for every medical school in the country, particularly osteopathic medical schools, because osteopathic medical schools typically do not own and operate large research hospitals. So the University of Kansas, for instance, has a tremendously large and great medical center in Kansas City, Kansas. Kansas City University The osteopathic school across the street, well, across the state line, does not own a quaternary research hospital. So they work like many other osteopathic medical schools with clinical partners. So they send their students to affiliated hospitals. So the challenge in any osteopathic school, just and ours is no different, is finding clinical facilities to train your patients. And our challenge is also a little bit different because we only are going to have our students in faithful. Catholic facilities and with Catholic and Christian preceptors or physician preceptors in their offices and clinics to help them learn medicine. And you don't have to be Catholic to be a physician that works with us with students, but you just have to respect the tenets of the Catholic faith. So any physician, regardless of religion that's working with our students, has to be credentialed and has to sign a mandatum agreeing to uphold the tenets of the faith. So our students will never be put into a position of, oh, uh, help me uh, with this uh, abortion here. Our students will be in faithful and credentialed systems. And it's a little early to talk about um, where specifically. We know it'll have a national footprint. We think many of our students will be with faithful healthcare systems in the Midwest, more in in Illinois and Indiana, just because of a couple of large Catholic systems that exist there that are very faithful. We think they'll be in that area. And that may also give some reassurance to our stakeholders in the region that we really don't have an interest in the established clinical relationships at a KU or at a KCU, because our students have a broader and different requirement for their clinical training. So that's the other big challenge, is to get these clinical partners together so the students have a credible and high quality clinical experience. I mean, we want to make sure that we don't just dump a student on the doorstep of your local Catholic hospital and saying, here, I'm here to learn medicine. So we'll put a lot of effort and resources into making sure that's a high quality clinical experience because it's a dual role, right? We want to train faithful Catholic physicians or physicians in a Catholic framework. We also want them to be good doctors, right? It would be disrespectful to God and and people if we were training physicians that weren't good at their jobs. Exactly. So that's very, very important. That's the other big challenge. Uh, and the accreditors quite rightly look very closely at that because money's money. Money's easy to solve as far as meeting the, checking the box. If you have the money, you check the box, right? But the clinical relationships, those are harder. Those it's a matter of going out, forming the relationships, explaining what you're doing, and then delivering the resources to make sure the students have a good experience, not just dropped on someone's doorstep, They actually have a curriculum, have learning tools, have evaluation tools, and developing the physicians in community hospitals to be teachers. I mean, my experience for the secular projects was Hospital administrators and physicians saying, "Oh, this is great! I'm glad we did this. This is fantastic!" But we never could have done it without the help of the medical school. I mean, that was one of the criticism I had in New Mexico. Somebody called me once. Somebody very highly placed and said, "We're being irresponsible for doing a medical school in New Mexico. There's nothing there, and the students are just wasting their time and money." Indeed, there were very good clinical resources there. Nobody had ever thought about doing it at these hospitals or with these physicians or never help them to become clinical educators. So that's part of our job is to bring new residencies into uh, the training, bring new clinical clerkships. I mean, a DO degree or an MD, an MD degree by itself is really pretty worthless. You can't do anything, right? You have to go out and do a residency. So we want to add to the pool of national residencies because when these students graduate, either MD or DO, they go into the same training pool of residencies around the country. It's all under one accreditation body. We want to create faithful Catholic residencies in OBGYN, in pediatrics, in psychiatry, in family medicine. I mean, can you imagine being a faithful Catholic student and trying to do an OBGYN residency in today's culture? It would be pretty hard, right? Yep. To find. Oh, we,
0: hear the, we hear from them. Absolutely.
1: So yeah. that's part of our job is to give our students a comfortable place and a credible place to complete residency training as well, so that's part of the process, and that's a complicated and difficult process, uh, almost as difficult as the medical school.
0: Yeah, I hear you, George. What final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today?
1: Maybe Padre Pio's words of wisdom: Pray, hope, and don't worry. Everything's built on a foundation of prayer. I ask for your prayer and the listeners' prayers to help us accomplish this mission. We know it's it's worthy. We know it's a it's important, and we know that it's needed. In this world. I like to say that, you know, abortion would not be an issue in the United States if physicians were unwilling to perform abortions. The genocide of 65 million children was accomplished with the ready, willing, and able cooperation of physicians. The systematic murder of the elderly and disabled by withholding nutrition and hydration could not be accomplished Without the ready, willing, and able cooperation of physicians. So we want to change that culture. Benedictine wants to change that culture. Our mission is to take the culture back, drive the money changers from the temple, and set things right. And that's very uh, coherent with Benedictine's mission as well. So that's what we're here to do. We ask for your prayers. Um, if somebody out there has a check for $120 million, that would be great too. Uh, but we know that the Holy Spirit will send us the right people at the right time. We think it's was worth doing. And we know there are other individuals out there that, that think it's worth doing. It's just a matter of getting us together. Right.
0: And again, once again, uh, if people wanted to get uh, in touch with you or with Catholic Health Care International, um, we'll link the Catholic Health Care uh, International webpage uh, to the show notes here. Uh, could people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, they can get in touch with me. Uh, my name is complicated, right? G. Mitch, ask you at CHI-USA.com. But if you just get to the CHI-USA.com webpage, you can navigate yourself into the info links or to the more info links or links about the medical school. And uh, I, I like to say that in this world of email, I respond to every single email, which it can be a, a little task, but there's nothing I hate more than somebody sending an email to somebody and they never respond. And then I'm like, Did you get my note? So I will respond, may take me a day or two, but CHI has got a a nice web presence and and it's not too hard to navigate, even for uh, Luddites like me.
0: Very good. Awesome, Dr. George Bachescu, thank you for joining me today on Bioethics On Air.
1: Thank you, Joe, I really appreciate it, God
0: bless. You too. For more information on the topics discussed today and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, as well as our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at j-z-a-l-o-t at ncbcenter.org. Archived editions of the podcasts are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page, and then click Bioethics On Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts, please subscribe to them, and if you would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.